Hello everyone and welcome to the 11th episode of the Connectivity Podcast. I'm Matthias Fridström and I've spent the last 25 years inside the Connectivity community. In this pod, we invite guests to deep dive into one or many subjects to simply learn more about connectivity. And in this 11th episode, I'm extremely happy to have Tom Hollingsworth, who's the famous blogger under the name The Networking Nerd as a guest. So welcome, Tom. Okay, so welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me. This is great. So for the people that doesn't really know you, who are you? Could you describe a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a uh, former senior network engineer for a reseller. Uh, I'm a CCIE. And uh, for the last probably eight years, I've been heavily involved in Tech Field Day, which is a, an event series where we talk about enterprise networking, wireless security, and a bunch of other topics. But really... Uh, I went from doing implementation work to kind of more architecture and analysis type things. Uh, so I've been around the networking space for for quite a while, and uh, I, I write a lot and I do a lot of uh, video content and podcasting. So uh, my my face and my name seem to be all over the place, but um, I'm very happy to be here today. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, I know that you yourself call yourself the networking nerd. You know, how did you come up with that name, and and when did this happen? Well, I was one of those people that decided that rather than using my my regular name for my Twitter handle because it was too long, I needed something that kind of described what I wanted to do. And at the time, and even still to this day, I, I really am heavily involved in networking. And I've always been a nerd uh, growing up, whether it's comic books or movies or you know just about anything. And so I figured, why not put those two things together? And network nerd was taken at the time. So I just said, well, I'll just put an ING on it because we all do networking. Um, and then that just, that's where it came from. And, and it, you know, it's, it's nice because even though I, I do a lot more than networking now, uh, people can always come back to it and go, oh, well, here's somebody who, who knows a little bit about something. Oh, that's really cool. And, and since this is a podcast around networking, I think that's a great name and, and I'm super happy to have you here. So I know you've been very long in this industry, almost 20 years. Uh, You've been in the enterprise industry, and, and for us, Intelia Carrier, who is, I wouldn't say new to the enterprise side, we're very famous in the wholesale carrier side, but we're quite new to the networking side. What has the enterprise networking been throughout these years, you know, if you compare 20 years ago from, from today? It's funny. I, I think of it, uh, Charles Darwin has a theory of evolution, but a lot of people, they have this thing now called punctuated evolution, which is evolution doesn't happen on a slow scale. It's like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of really exciting things happen. And when I first got into networking, it was in that slow phase of let's just make things a little bit faster. Uh, let's just make things a little bit bigger and we'll just keep going. And then, well, what are we on now? Maybe about mm, nine, 10 years ago was when SDN really started taking off. And, and you had that group of people that came out of Stanford that, that were kind of fostered by Nick McEwen that said, well, why don't we just take networking apart and, and put it back together, but using software now. And, and when you look at the changes that have gone on since then with things like Merchant Silicon and ASIC development and, uh, and pulling a lot of what we used to consider the secret magic sauce out of networking and putting it in software, it has really changed the way that we do things. It's that breaking that mindset of the way that people do things. I, I literally saw a quote this morning 
uh, from uh, an Elon Musk account. And he said, well, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a slightly faster gasoline powered vehicle. And that's what SDN represented in networking to us was we're not giving you what you're asking for. We're giving you what you need. And then we're letting that need drive the way that other people develop around it. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So really what you feel is the biggest change the industry have seen is this, you know, softwareization of practically everything, really. Right. Uh, the, it, it has changed it because we're no longer just focused on speed as the only definition of what a network is capable of. And because we can now do things like integrating our networking stacks with orchestration systems and uh, pulling software functionality out to deliver it where it needs to be delivered. Think about something as simple as like a, an application delivery controller or, or a load balancer, depending on how old you are. That's something that historically had to be a very big piece of hardware sitting at a very specific part of the network in order to intercept connections and deploy them. Now I can take the same functionality, put it in an app store on AWS's store and put it in front of devices that I need when I need it, shut it down when I don't, and then, you know, basically kind of keep that idea going that I, I have the, the tools that I need when I need them and I have just enough to do what I need. As opposed to, I mean, how many of us have ever specced a switch or a router and we're sitting here kind of doing the calculations in our head? Well, I'm going to have to own this thing for eight years. I need to plan ahead so that the device is not overwhelmed before it reaches the end of its useful life and I can upgrade again. Software kind of it wrecks that curve in a good way. All right, yeah. Where, where do you think we are on this journey, you know? Are we about to sort of finish this journey or have we just started or where are we? Well, the nice thing about making things less dependent on a specific piece, in this case hardware, is that the journey can constantly evolve and change. And I honestly think that we're starting to see that now with the the rise of the data processing unit. If you look at the things that Pensando and Intel and NVIDIA and uh, AMD are doing, they're taking a step back from going, well, yes, we, we don't run networking on expensive ASICs anymore. Instead, we run it on commodity x86 chips. But even in the this grand scheme of things, those are still super expensive from a, from a cost budget compared to other available options. So you know, I can have one really big uh, Xeon processor with some cores that are dedicated to networking, or I can have like a cluster of ARM processors running in a daughter card doing offload. And comparatively speaking, ARM is dirt cheap. And it's only because we've abstracted the ability of the network to do things away from ASICs and FPGAs and even x86 CPUs to, to say, I can now run this on top of something else. So I would say that that the the journey is definitely still in the middle, but the nice thing is is that the journeys can now branch off of that to say, well, we're going to go develop this technology and bring that stuff back. And that was actually one of the reasons why I was very hesitant to jump on the SDN train when it first started because people married everything SDN to OpenFlow. And, and I was looking at it going, boy, OpenFlow is a really big hammer, and now everyone's looking around for nails to hit with it. And, and, and that's the way we've always done things. Ethernet is the way forward, or, or this uh, BGP is the way forward. When you get married to a technology, when you get married to a protocol, you're going to have problems. When you look at end goals, when you look at results, I want my network to be more resilient. I want my network to be more automated. That's how you need to plan, because then you're not 
wedded to a technology, wedded to a protocol, you can develop and say, well, what if I did break out the policy enforcement piece and put it on this card over here? You can do that because you're not saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to build, but it needs to use BGP. Wow. I know you speak to a lot of enterprises. Do you feel this is the same all across the board or are certain segments of the enterprise business more prone to change or are others afraid of this software change? You know, how do you see that? Some enterprises are hesitant to jump on board, but I think that's more from their um, regulatory perspective. Uh, things like healthcare, especially, are very resistant to massive change. Uh, now, the, the the delicious irony of it is, is that they don't like making changes, but when they finally decide to do, they're the more likely to, you know, kind of tear everything down and rebuild it. Um, but a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, if I run a, a let's just say a, a regular business, let's just say I'm, I'm, I don't know, packaging pizzas or something. If I make a technology bet that doesn't pay off, I own that technology bet for a couple of years and then I can I can change to something else. If a hospital makes a technology bet that doesn't pay off and something happens, like, I don't know, patient data leaks or, uh, God forbid, healthcare is impacted to the point where someone is no longer alive, um, there's massive lawsuit potential. There's massive government regulation. Uh, I mean, if we go all the way back to, uh, you know, the, the formation of Trill, with uh, Radia Perlman, I mean, that literally came out of a hospital. She saw a hospital that had a network meltdown, and her first thought was, what happens if people, you know, expire in in this situation? And so that's why she developed Trill and, and gave it to the IETF was, we, we need to fix this problem. Um, now, some companies are just willing to throw whatever at the wall and, and see if it sticks. And a lot of those are are kind of hard charging companies. We, we talk a lot about hyperscalers, um, you know, companies out there that for whatever reason have like, you know, loads of development staff that are just sitting around. It's like, well, let's see if we can rebuild this protocol on a white box switch. Um, why not? Uh, they're much more likely to be on the, the bleeding edge of technology, but they're also the kinds of people who don't mind getting their hands dirty, building things if they have to. And I think a lot of, of traditional enterprises that kind of sit in the middle of that bell curve are they, they want to be seen as technologically advanced, but they also want the safety net of having someone to support them so that when their engineers run out of knowledge to fix a problem, they have somebody they can call. Yeah, oh, that's good. Uh, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, obviously. Have you seen any changes from enterprises due to this? You know, Have that sort of speeded up or have that made them more afraid of change? Or what have you seen during the pandemic? What happened to the enterprises thinking here? It's great. There's a there's a meme that's been floating around for several months. It says, "What is the biggest driver of the digital transformation in your organization?" And like option C is the the pandemic, and it's that's the one that's colored in. Um, the way that companies have considered their network design has had to change massively because they don't have networks anymore. They built these bastions of high-speed interconnected switches with super-fast wireless and security deployed in all the perfect positions. And, and think of it like a, a, an army setting up to fight a battle. And then the battlefield changed. Now suddenly we're at home with consumer-grade networking or worse. <laughs> And uh, we're trying to get online. So now when before a VPN concentrator was an afterthought because, well, who's going to be working remotely? We don't need anybody to work remotely. That's not allowed around here. 
well, now legally you have to be working remotely. So VPN concentrators, cloud app deployments, getting people resources where they live instead of making them come to the office. And then companies stepping back and looking and going, well, I can take the next cycle off because this equipment's not being used. It's not going to run out anytime soon. Uh, it's it's almost like you hit the pause button on it. And so that, you know, the next time, when if we're hoping, fingers crossed, that people will be able to get back to the office later this year, you know, then we start looking at, well, what do we really need? Because there is a very real possibility that many of the jobs that we do today are not going to ever go back to an office. We've kind of broken that hold on you need to come in and sit at a desk from eight to five every day to do your job. Yeah, you're probably very right. How do you feel that the sort of service provider industry coped with this? You know, did they stand up for the enterprises or or were there a problem there? Uh, How did the service provider business do? I don't think that they got caught flat-footed. I think that they just didn't, estimate the impact of of what they were going to see was quite so large. Um, I, I, I kind of have a jaded view of service providers just because I feel like a lot of them are focused on keeping things running one more month. Every month we can run on this amount of bandwidth or with this device is one more month that we don't have to pay for an upgrade. And then when 60 or 70% of the people suddenly are now working from home all day long, it it threw them for a loop. I mean, they were able to bring things online and they were able to open stuff up. But but even like working from home is not just working from home. It's doing school at home. It's the the rise of video. I mean, we we joke about it, but um, you know, uh, so it's been about a year since I, since the pandemic really kicked in. Um, I went from having voice phone calls on a conference bridge once or twice a week to having a call every day that had to be video. Now we have to see people. And I'm like, nothing changed in the content of the call. It's just that we don't go into an office and, and we need to see folks. And, and having been someone who's worked remote for a very long time, like my, nothing changed for me. And so I was kind of curious, but then going back to the service provider part of it, now they're dealing with a lot of video traffic, which is delay sensitive. Now they're dealing with uh, a change in the way that they do something as simple as a maintenance window. I mean, you used to be you could do a maintenance window at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday because there wasn't anybody at home. They were all at work. You can't do that anymore. You take the network down at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, suddenly kids can't go to school. And then that makes headlines. I mean, Verizon had a huge Fios outage a couple of weeks ago or about a month ago. And and the, the, the headlines were kids can't go to school. Um, you know, elderly people can't have doctor's appointments. You don't want that kind of press. No, I completely agree with you. And and speaking as one of the service providers around, I know from time to time we've discussed about running the network hot as you talk about, you know, delaying CapEx investments a month, but because you can you can really run on that traffic. I think the industry learned that we will never cheat again on doing that. You know, when the network needs an upgrade, we were gonna do the upgrade because you never really know what's gonna happen tomorrow. So you're perfectly right there, you know. In terms of security here, you, you spoke a lot about people going from being in the office to being remote. How, how has enterprise looked on that type of security? You know, is it safe to work from home? Um, yes. <laughs> the funny thing about it is it's safe to work from home because nobody's really tried to attack the home. Um, a lot of the think about the crypto lockers and the ransomware that you've seen deployed by various people. It's designed to sniff 
an enterprise network. It's designed to go out and make connections to things like domain controllers and other resources and kind of embed itself. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not running Active Directory at my house. And so there's a few things around here that you potentially open up to. And that was one of the biggest concerns at the very beginning of the pandemic was we're, we're essentially having employees VPN back into the home office from unsecured networks. Well, that's also a little bit of security by obscurity. And so now companies are starting to do things like deploy uh, things like SD-WAN endpoints to these new, you know, I, I call them home branches because we went from having you know, a dozen branch offices to a couple of hundred branch offices with employees. But those SD-WAN devices have enough enterprise-grade security built in that they can say, oh, there's something in your network that's causing problems. We're going to go ahead and block it. You need to fix this. You need to call support and they can help you root this out. But this idea of having a very well-defined perimeter that is permissive has gone away. And I think that honestly, going back to something like SASE, you know, Secure Access Service Edge, that really got a shot in the arm because of the pandemic, because the ability to have an endpoint, whether it's software or hardware, that validates on a user-by-user basis and then sends the traffic to secure locations like a, a CASB or something like that is huge for end users, because now it means I don't have to run a rack of equipment in my house and operations personnel don't have to worry about extending their perimeter to cover you know, a huge geographic area. Now it's more, I have this endpoint, it's doing all the heavy lifting for me right now and sending traffic where it needs to go. And I'm, I feel secure because it's the same security across the board as opposed to, well, here's the corporate firewall, and then here's the firewall that people are running on their laptop, which is not nearly as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we talk about that people work from home right now because that's the only place you're allowed to be. Uh, when you think about the future and, and when probably the society is opening again, then I think the trend of, of not being in the office is going to be there, you know. And, and people will start to talk about working from anywhere, really. What do you think about that, you know? And, and will that cause another problem for the enterprises if people are starting to work from public Wi-Fi in restaurants or, or things like that? Because people have now shown that you can handle your work from wherever you are. I think that the, the work from home versus work from anywhere argument is actually pretty spurious in the long run because there, there really is only two options when you think about it. You're either inside the corporate network or you're not. And I think a lot of folks in the past have said, well, if you're not inside the corporate network, we're going to limit your capabilities. You know, uh, I can think of several people that I know from the community, like they are not able to check their corporate email unless they have a VPN connection up to reach the corporate office. And that is silly architecture. It's, it's a, it's a backwards way of thinking. I'm going to authenticate people. I'm going to control their connections in order to give them what they need to do to work. A better solution would be host your email in the cloud, have some kind of a zero trust model, um, you know, something relatively simple, but it requires organizational shift in their thinking. And I think this, having lasted more than a couple of months, has really forced a company, any company, to go back and say, okay, I can't buy this application now, or I can't upgrade this application that my employees use because I can't get to it from outside of the corporate firewall. And that's not going to work for us. We need, you know, we need it to be cloud-based. We need to shift from using this custom application to something like maybe Salesforce. And and that is going to drive the way that we design things. Even something as simple as a wireless deployment. Do I really need to have 100% wireless coverage of an office that nobody's in? 
or should I spend more money on shipping better access points to my end users' homes, knowing that by improving their experience there, I'm going to make them more productive and make them not want to say, well, the wireless here is crap. I'm going to go work from a coffee shop where you're exposing yourself to more potential threats. Well, that's really interesting. That's that's good. Um, I, my feeling is that uh, sort of the the security have really become an issue right now. It's always been an issue, but I think that's propelled as an issue during the pandemic. But is it really any change? Have enterprises focused a lot more on security right now because because of this, or or is that just an imaginary feeling I have? Uh, no, you you are definitely not imagining this, and I think it's one of those funny things where every every security problem seems to be piling up all at once. We're outside of our our comfort zones because we're at home. Uh, we're starting to see more coordinated threats from bigger organizations, not just you know kids or you know people who are not there are novices in this. They're they're <laughs> they're financed. They're protected. And they are being very specific in what they're targeting. And so all of this has kind of fo forced the enterprise to decide how they're going to secure things. And, and we see this all the time with stories about, you know, we implemented this policy where the people at the front desk have to buzz everybody through. And that lasted like a week because then they got bored with verifying identities. And so we're just going to start relaxing the security. And, and enterprises need to, instead of creating massive security controls that cause people to find ways around them, they need to analyze the way that that users do business and secure those. So look at the number of companies that have sprung up that are focused on micro-segmentation and zero-trust security. Why? Well, it's a user-based authentication mechanism that provides essentially least privileged security, but also ensures that there's no real capability for lateral movement. Um, so it gets rid of the, the ransomware that's designed to spread once it hits a point. That's a really good solution. Because as long as I'm logged in, I know who you are, I can track what you're doing, and I feel confident that if you're in a coffee shop or in your house or on an airplane, that you have access to what you need, but no more, and that I'm not worried that someone's going to snoop your connection and take something they're not supposed to have. Oh, that's good. Um, just just the last question around security. When when an enterprise comes to you and asks you about you know well, your opinion about security and and this when we think about SASE and security in the cloud or security on premise or what do you think the future will be here? You know, is is it going to be a combination of both or will it all be in the cloud in the future? I think that the cloud is absolutely that you're not putting the toothpaste back in that tube anytime soon. But I also think that organizations can't rely on being 100% in either camp. Uh, the ones who are highly regulated, like we mentioned healthcare or finance, are, are going to have to have some kind of an on-premises capability. There's, there's no way around it. But what you need to start looking for is solutions that give you a little bit more of a homogenous take on that. So what, you don't want a solution to go, oh, well, you know, we can definitely secure your on-premises cloud, but as soon as you send it to Amazon, we don't have any control over it. We don't know what we're doing. You know, investigate companies that are like, oh, yeah, it's the same security controls. We just when you tell us what you want it to do, we deploy it differently with with Amazon components or Azure components as opposed to doing it locally. And I think that there the key is rather than focusing on a specific technology, focus on the solutions that give you uh, a policy driven implementation that are focused on business outcomes. I want my users to be secured no matter where they are dialing in from. 
And then the platform says, take business logic, apply controls. And then you don't have to worry about it because the other thing is if, it, if the platform's doing all the work, it doesn't matter whether you're hosting your workloads in GCP, Oracle, Azure, where, or in your on-premises data center. It's all done on the back end and you don't have to worry about fiddling with things. Oh, I think that's a good advice. That's really good. Thanks, everyone, for listening. In the next episode, we will continue to talk to Tom Hollingsworth, so stay tuned until next time. Please also remember the Twitter handle ConnectivityPod for updates.